When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is actor Josh Rubin. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Josh, your character, Bruce Stearns, is in a film called A Wounded Fawn. Do you want to tell us, tell the audience a little bit about who your character is? Sure. He's, uh, I suppose, an art dealer, a narcissist, a bit of a peacocker, as we say, someone who likes to show off with his fancy stuff, his exotic uh, car and cabin, uh, uh, his uh, exhibit, his knowledge of Yoda Madalangi and um, name drop various uh, obscure artists, whether surrealist women or otherwise. But he's uh, really just a, a mass murderer, especially of women. Um, so, uh, um, that, uh, that's, uh, maybe sociopathically criminally what, what made it such a fun character to play. It was sort of a dream role starts as a uh, psychopath and ends as a, a terrorized victim of the Araneid. Yes, indeed. It's it, what, what, what makes this film sort of stand out from your, your traditional sort of serial killer films. If I can, if I can say that expression is that the idea of a woman in peril is only really a very much a first act thing in this. Yeah. We're subverting the, uh, the woman in the cabin with a psycho kind of trope. You know, I think it was, I think it's only sort of serendipitous that my buddy Mimi Cave's film fresh, which did so well earlier in the year came out because it's sort of, you know, we're, uh, we're subverting the expectation, um, for what, what we feel may be trodden, but indeed it's instead, a, it's a way in. You know, it's just a familiar way into a uh, a story that then goes uh, uh, thrillingly off the rails, I think. Now, um, without giving the context, I don't think there's much of a spoiler here, but I'm just fascinated from the point of view of an actor um, shooting a scene where the camera is rolling for nigh on, what, 12, 15 minutes? How do you prepare for that kind of scene? I mean, it was 11, it's an 11 minute reel. That's the entirety of a film cartridge. So I suppose the actual acting was uh, 10 and change. Um, I mean, it was thrilling. A lot of people were just asking me about my, you know, how uncomfortable were you? How cold were you? Uh, What about, what if your fiddly bits fell out of your toga? All (laughs) kinds of stuff. And um, I, I mean, for me, it's just electric, especially because, you know, it's the last two days of shooting and Travis throws that out there as an idea. What if we did this entire flaying 
as one shot. And I said, absolutely. It harkens back to, you know, all of our theater backgrounds. Um, and Sarah and I were just so down for the, for the challenge. I mean, poor Sarah, who had to observe it um, without, uh, <laughs> without breaking in any way. Yeah. And then me to, um, have to uh, pray I wouldn't um, look like I was breathing. It was a thrill. I mean, it was it was electric. That was the wonderful thing about shooting on film is that once you hear that film reel, that film moving through the the uh, the canister, um, it, uh, it it just sends a jolt of electricity through your performer bones, wanting to nail it and get it right because every foot is several dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to learn then that obviously on the page it was one thing and the expectation was another, and then and then the idea on the day is let's do it this way. That's a really interesting. That, that it can change so dramatically. Sure, sure, exactly. I mean, that's also, I think, just the, speaks to the nimbleness of independent filmmaking. Um, you know, uh, hey, why don't we try this? I mean, I'm, I know on, on, on larger film sets, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's likely no different, except that it's, it takes a bit more effort to steer the ship. Oh, I, mean, I remember George Romero saying people. this. He, he, after he did Land of the Dead, he said he'd never do yeah. a studio picture again because... Yeah, there was opportunities for him to do something creative, but because he had to go through so many sign-offs on what was already agreed as the shoot, That's it sort right. of neutered any kind of creativity he might have had during the shoot. He found it's hard to just run with the camera, yeah, as we as we did as kids, you know, mm. when you have to get permission and stuff. Indeed. Well, look, um, a wounded fawn is available now on Shudder, and I've also got you on to talk about three films that have impacted everything in your adult life. <laughs> yeah. But before I get into it, just to explain for you and for the audience who may not have heard this format before, uh, Josh has chosen three films um, that, that have, have something to say about how film impacted on him. Uh, we're going to set the clock for five minutes and then talk for the five minutes. And when the alarm goes off, we'll stop, move on to the next film. Um, when we hear this sound... That will be the that will be the sound, and hopefully you can hear this at your end, Josh. Ah, so it's a bit like uh, N sixty four uh, die another day. I think it is the uh, <laughs> played that yeah. as a kid. So, without further ado, three films that impacted everything in adult <clears throat> life. The first choice I've got from you is nineteen seventy four Sugarland Express. Do you want to talk about how and when you saw this? Absolutely. I can tell you exactly when it was, what the temperature was, uh, what it was, uh, what it looked like in my childhood bedroom. It was, I was born in 83. It came out obviously previously. It was on cable okay. and I had somehow gotten it on television um, uh, in my room. My, my uh, sibling had uh, convinced my parents to put a tiny TV in my room. So I'm by myself, probably five or six years old. No kidding. Right. Already a fan of Jaws and had watched it several times. My parents allowed me to do it by that age and told me that, you know, the stuff bursting out of Robert Shaw's mouth was just ketchup. <laughs> um, uh, it was the first film to make me cry. The first movie to make me cry. And I was, I mean, no, no shit. Six or seven years old. And I'm watching this, this, uh, this road, this Bonnie and Clyde road trip drama from... Steven Spielberg, who I had no connection or idea he was at all connected to my otherwise favorite movie, the Big Fish movie, as I mm. call it. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm totally enraptured sitting under my, you know, Batman covers or whatever, watching this drama, two, two young people on the road in this car being chased by a cavalry of, uh, of 20 cop cars. And then he revisited later. And I'm realizing that what I think I was, I connected to was he, he took normalcy, um, the normalcy of the desert road landscape and gave it this kind of action scope romance and almost kind of, um, uh, uh, cosmic beauty to a degree with mm. also at the, at the core of it, this very human story and, and um, just such an emotional one at that. And revisiting as a filmmaker, you kind of go, how did he do some of these shots? Um, following these cars at a certain time of day, you know, he was so incredibly specific about it. Um, I'm chasing making any movie look as beautiful as Sugarland Express um, or to make any movie that'll make a six-year-old cry with uh, no cartoons in it. I mean, what so, was it? Uh, I mean, because it's it's a fairly ad, you know it's a fairly adult film. I mean, as in for it adults, is. not 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 pornography. Um, <laughs> what do you think? What do you think it was that held the five year five six year olds' attention? It was back? it was. Uh, I mean, I I thinking back, I didn't have thought about this or connected to it in a while. I loved cars. I, every time I went to the convenience store, I'd ask my dad to buy me a Matchbox car or a Hot Wheels toy car. I was obsessed with cars, so it may have been just. Oh, it's the car movie. But by the time the protagonist is shot and dying in Goldie Hawn's arms, uh, I, there are tears streaming down my face. And I didn't quite know why. So I was connected to these two people, even as a little kid. I mean, six, seven years old. Mm. You see, you know, he's been shot. He's no longer as, I don't know, um, maybe vital looking as, I don't know, my brother and my sister were. Maybe that's who I was connecting them to. And, um, and that's what really hit me. It was, it was his death. It was watching them on this ride and then uh, his death hits, and you know there are tears streaming down my face. And it, 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 I guess that's for you. Then that's like, oh, like I guess subconsciously, not consciously, at that point, sort of awakening that idea of of how powerful a film can be. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's what every film was. You pop it in the VHS, at least back then, and it transports you as a kid. That that's that's the age of thinking. There are real human beings behind this plate of glass on yeah. that zenith on that box sitting on our shelf um just as you know even before that people thought uh the masses thought there were tiny people in the radio i i, I was convinced that you could have conversations with those people that they were as real as the mailman or mom and dad or my brother my sister yeah and i think i think it's that I think then as you get older, it's almost like i feel like i spend my my, my entire life trying to watch a film through those eyes Yes, yes. You want you want nothing more than to uh, to escape that way. I mean, it's you know what we do every time we go to the Alamo Draft House, our local movie theater down here is let's go and escape. And my wife and I are always so excited. Doesn't matter what it is, it's the experience of it. Now we need to be served food and a beer, um, you know, at, at these theaters, uh, and not just you know transporting the world of Violent Night or Corsage or um, you know, any of the, the number of films that have come out recently, nope and whatnot, um, anything transportive and anything to do to get back to that movie going experience, um, is, uh, is wonderful. And how, how wild to think we all were experiencing it. All of our first love films or our, our many of our first, uh, first experiences with film was sitting on the rug or sitting in the living room couch and watching it on the television. It was, having this tactile thing and not often in a movie theater, at least that wasn't my experience. So to have watched Sugarland Express on a tiny, t tiny TV, boom, there's the alarm. There's, I was going to say, because also I think it sounds like as well, and I, I know I remember this as a kid, is that 
part of the appeal of a kid is that your parents control the television, not you. So right. the idea that you might be watching something illicit, yeah, 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 kind completely. of adds to the frisson of of what what you of the magic of what you're watching. Right for your second choice, we've got Stephen King's Cat's Eyes from 1985. What what? How are you seeing that as a kid, and how old are you? Oh gosh, I probably saw that. Uh, I was uh, eight when I was eighty, born in eighty three. I probably saw it when I was. I want to say. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Six or seven. Mm. Um, and I assume I'd seen E.T. by that point. So to see young Drew Barrymore with a friendly alien in one film, one that broke my heart, one that I watch again and again, to yeah. then see her uh, going toe-to-toe with a goblin that would burst out of a mouse-sized hole in her bedroom and um, try and <laughs> snuff out and suck her life force, uh, that was... I, I haven't really thought of this before, but I think it was the first time I actually saw myself in a film like i i could identify with a protagonist in a movie she was more or less my same age i was terrified of what what untold things could be under my bed you have to understand in that era the toys that we had even down to my pet monster and um you know beetlejuice coming out and ghostbusters both the cartoon and otherwise and um the whole and stranger danger, everything was about what could be under your bed. And so I think that film being like a kitty cat movie being, uh, you know, starring a kid about my age that really, really got me. Um, but it was also my first experience with the anthology horror, even before tales from the dark side and twilight zone and, um, and everything. So do you, do you remember like, I mean, that, that idea of a pushing up, I mean, I think I'd seen, Tales from the Crypt, I think I'd seen before I saw this one. Um, so what do you yeah. remember thinking about? I mean, that, did you, do you have a memory of what that was like to see a, a film suddenly portioned off into completely different stories? I think it probably lit up my uh, my child brain. I didn't probably think of them as three separate stories. I thought, oh, and now it's continuing. But to be about, who, who the hell knows how I was connecting it. Um, but it was, you know, at first it's, it's like how I how I watch really anything or how we absorb anything as kids. You you think it's one thing and then you revisit it as, as an adult and it becomes something else. You enjoy all the the adult themes and tones and conversation and mm. prose and stuff that you miss. I think for being the age that I was when I saw it, it was wow, it's a kitty cat movie, and I'm a young kid, Drew Barry's, Barrymore's age, and there's a kitty cat going from you know uh, house to house. I don't know how I made it from you know. Uh, Quitters Inc. and the Mafia Pigeon Robert Hayes tale all the way to the end. But maybe it was that my sister had the movie on and I like just caught the goblin tale that maybe she just somehow showed me. Uh, <laughs> she somehow showed me just that vignette. I wouldn't be surprised because she's like, ooh, my little brother might really be freaked out by this. Um, I discovered it and just couldn't let it go. It, and it, it, it affected my, uh, and how, how did, a, how did six year old you fight, come across this film? Was it a VHS? Was it, 
caught on TV? It was definitely, definitely. Well, I don't want to say definitely a VHS. It's very likely a VHS, but it very, very much so could have been on cable. You got to know it. You know, in the eighties, the afternoon Sunday movie could be Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. Really? Um, and it, yeah, and you could be flipping channels and anyone could watch it. I, I, I think there are promos that are all over like YouTube. You can find them. The Sunday afternoon movie, uh, you know, whatever. The Mangler or whatever. It would be like the most brutal horror movie. Um, any Friday the 13th film. I remember Dream Master could have been like one of the, a lot of Freddy Krueger <laughs> made it into matinee movies. A lot of cable horror. Um, and that was that was certainly my uh, my way in. Whereas you know, at night you just you just uh, sidle up to uh, Freddy's nightmares and enjoy a different kind of anthology. But um, and and yeah. the thing that I mean, being a fan of the anthology, you know myself. I mean, the clever thing about Cat Size and obviously the clue in the title, and I guess why when you're watching it as a six year old, it doesn't feel so odd is because the cat is the one walking you to and from the stories. Like it's yeah, it's a really ni- it's a really nice sort of segue treatment it is it is it is and you feel for the cat you know i remember thinking the mom was a real witch drew barrymore's mom you know for like taking the cat and luring her into the box and you know you're watching movies like homeward bound and milo and otis i I was a sucker for animals and so not understanding necessarily what was happening except that there was a monster coming to the little kid's bedroom wall is like that evil witch how could she take the pet away that you don't watch her watch her freak out i'd watch charlotte's web and then equate it somehow to stephen king's cat's eye and just be heartbroken for the thing Woo, we made it we made it we made it indeed i like this uh, see i say it adds a little bit of jeopardy to the conversation it really does it really does i appreciate it so uh, your final choice is 1990s clive barker's nightbreed now how old are you oh. when you're seeing this 1990. I was uh, I was eight years old when I saw. Oh no, I was I was eight years old when the movie released. I was probably ten or eleven when I saw Nightbreed for the first time, and I don't don't believe I saw it on VHS. I want to say I I caught it on like on some inappropriate channel, Cinemax mm. or HBO or what have you. I mean, that's a wild um, this, film for a 10-year-old to be computed. Oh, my God, a wild film. It wasn't the director's cut, but, you know, you don't realize when you watch it, just like when you see Rocky Horror as a kid, you think, oh, it's a musical. Mm. Um, but all the queer allegory, of course, that goes over your head Yeah. Um, as a little kid who doesn't know what sexuality even is or what his or her sexuality will be. Um, it just lit my imagination aflame. I remember... In Potomac, Maryland, where I lived, which was essentially a suburb set um, against a, a massive tree line that I would walk into the woods after I saw Nightbreed and was convinced if I crossed a certain threshold, I think it was just a fence that we had that went back in the acreage, moving into another person's property. There was a sort of creek and such. I would tell every kid I brought back there to my tree house that if we cross that threshold, we're in Midian. Um, Midian was actually, yeah, it became this magical place. So here I was a 10 year old telling my like playmates, Oh, well, that's Midian. You know what I mean? If we go over there and I was just convinced that not only convinced that there'd be like, you know, creatures beyond, but to see like monsters humanized, that was really powerful for me. I would like fantasize having conversations with the likes of Freddy Krueger because he was kind of an animated character, Mm. almost like a twisted 
cartoon character to a degree. And so with like all the creatures of Midian, they were, you know, quote unquote, good guys. The villains were the, um, you know, the, the, the authority figures, the cops, the ones who were anti-other. Um, and they were the outcasts of society. And then you just have on top of that, I'm just remembering now, Cronenberg, who comes in with this fucked up button eye mask and these yeah. knives in his, uh, I mean, how cool of a killer. I can tell you with all certainty, I must have had a toy toolbox that I put, I probably filled it with kitchen knives and walked around the house like Cronenberg's doctor character. Mm. Um, and I remember the latch of this plastic <laughs> toolbox thing came open and outspilled several kitchen knives onto the ground. And I'm, I don't know, nine, 10. Uh, and I'm positive I was inspired by the Cronenberg <laughs> serial killer of it all. So I don't know how I wasn't um, put away uh, immediately. But um, I mean, I don't know. Again, this is just a, a, a child of the 80s recreating what he sees on uh, on television. I just thought that character was just so cool. And I, I probably was what began my love of masks. There are so many more movies I could I could go into. I probably mm. sent you popcorn um, or mentioned Darkman. Well, uh, do, do, do the character of Kinski in Nightbreed. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Nicholas Vince, who plays that monster, as it were, I had him on the podcast talking about being whoa, being there because he's wow. in both Hellraiser and he's he's, he's in uh, Nightbreed. Oh my god! Okay, that one I have to track down immediately. There's a lot of need to say. I mean, that the impact that film had on me again, just from an imagination standpoint, then to revisit it, knowing who Clive Barker is, um, knowing about his struggles as a gay man, his um, health issues, his imagination, his trajectory. Um, uh, and also just to being a human being who's very recently discovered the hellbound heart, watched Hellraiser one and two for the first time, unfortunately. Well, you, you, um, you know, the chattering, the chattering Cenobite in Hellraiser. Yes. That's the same actor who played Kinski in Nightbreed. Oh my God. That's wild. That's incredible. God, poor guy. That's a, uh, that's a rough costume. Yeah. I have to, I have to look him up. Kinski and Nike. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. That, so that guy liked, uh, he liked prosthetics. I, I identify. That's amazing. What a character. <laughs> so have you, have you, have you worked much with prosthetics yourself as an actor? Have you done anything? I have. Yeah. Yeah, I have. I did on Wounded Fawn as well. I had my whole face molded to, uh, to get the head wound and everything else. You know, they had to recreate my entire bust of my head. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Oh, look at that. We made it under time. I was just going to try and think of the next question, and the alarm beat me to it. Oh. Well, look, sir, that brings us to the end of three films that have impacted everything wow. in your adult life. I'll just, re I'll just re remind the audience of your choices. They were Sugarland Express from 1974, Stephen King's Cat Size from 85, and Clive Barker's Nightbreed from 1990. Uh Mm -hmm. You you are in the film A Wounded Fawn, which is now available on uh, Shudder to watch wherever Shudder is available. And it just gives me to say thank you very much for joining us on the Britflix podcast. Uh, it was such a pleasure. Such a good time. Thank you for the game show thrill. <laughs>
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.